Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. How's it going? Hi, my name is Oli Shoshan. I play Jedi Master Shakti in episode two and episode three. You are listening to the Neverland podcast. Thank you. The Neverland podcast, episode 88. Welcome to Neverland. Take a start of the right straight until morning. Welcome to episode 88 of the Neverland Podcast. It is good to have you here. I am, of course, your pan, the spider pan, Jeremy of the Neverland Podcast. And I want to remind you to take that pixie out of your pocket, sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, grab your happiest thoughts, and away we fly to Neverland. And I have a very very special show for you this week. Uh, I am very, very excited to share with you author Jeff Barnes and his book, The Wisdom of Walt. Uh, As a Disney fan, I'm sure you really do uh, idolize in some fashion or look up to Walt Disney or have some fond feelings about him. Uh, Well, this is a book that's really kind of takes a look at his life and what we can learn from it and how we can be inspired to chase after our own dreams. Really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with him. You're really going to enjoy this conversation, and you're going to want to get a copy of this book. Believe me, and I will, of course, put a link in the show notes for you to go and find a copy of the book. Also, uh, this is going to mark the first of the times where I'm going to tell you about some of the things I've done here in the local Kansas City Comic Con convention. Well, Comic Convention here in Kansas City. There was another big one here August 7th, 8th, and 9th. I, I'm recording right now on a Saturday, uh, Saturday the 8th, so there's still one more day tomorrow that I've got a press pass. So I spent the day recording various different things, went to some really fun panels, walked the floor, talked to some of the people there. I, I was on Mirror cat i hope you got to see uh i did kind of show off some of the floor talk to a different uh people there working the floor that had some items that they were making uh some books that they had written things like that um but i've recorded so much stuff i just today i'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, some of what i did and uh, through the next few coming weeks i'll play some of the panels and some of the people i've talked to like the thank you walt disney organization uh so much stuff i mean tom kane was there uh he was there at planet comic-con as well and i did get that a bumper from him uh back then uh, doing the voice of yoda 
I got to, a chance to kind of talk with him. Uh, there was kind of a group of us, but I did not get a recording with him because I did not, you know, ask him if it's okay if I record. Uh, and he had told a little bit how he had gotten into voice acting, but um, said the whole story is actually on YouTube if I just want to look at that. So, so he's, I don't know that he really likes to do a whole lot of interviews at these. Um, but, you know, it's a very interesting story, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you about some things that I was not able to record, which was, of course, with Tom Kane. Uh, I also was not able to record uh, Brett Iwan, who is the current voice, official voice, of Mickey Mouse. Uh, you know, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, in the parks. Uh, he's, he's gotten to work with Neil Patrick Harris with the 60th anniversary World of Color. That Mickey Mouse. Uh, so he was there... But they did tell us that we were not allowed any audio or video recording, but we could take pictures. So I will be sharing some photos. They won't necessarily be in the show notes. I'm going to put them on NeverlandPodcast.com if you go into the news section. I haven't built the page up at the time of this recording, but I am going to build that page up. I'll put photos of the cosplayers, uh, all the photos I've taken from panels and some of the guests, and just all kinds of fun stuff. But I want to tell you a little bit of what I wasn't able to record, but I wanted to be able to share with you, and starting with Tom. Kane. Uh, he told a quite an interesting story. Uh, when he was 15 years old, and he grew up in Overland Park, Kansas, not too far from where I'm at. It's about 20-30 uh, minutes away from where I am here on the Missouri side of the border. Uh, he had heard uh, an ad for something where the voice person was just terrible. Sounded like a DJ. He said, just kind of hey, and it was kind of just over the top and just terrible. He really was not impressed. And he said he was fairly brazen. And he called the place and told them that, hey, your voice people are terrible at doing this, and this is not helping you. And turns out that these people were, uh, he even said it one, with one of them, it sounded like the secretary had done it. And it turned out that was the truth. They had just handed the secretary to do it. They hadn't actually ever paid anybody, I guess, this, this company. Um, he might have mentioned what company it was, but I don't recall. But uh, they were doing their ad stuff for free, and it was really bad. And he was saying how he could do better. Well, somebody, I guess, had taken notice of that, and they set up studio time for Tom Kane to come in and and do a, a, a better recording. Well, so somebody drove over to Tom Kane's residence. Tom Kane, turned out, was a 15-year-old kid who was out mowing the lawn. He was dirty. He was wearing a T-shirt. He says his, his shoes were all green and everything. And uh, the guy who had come to kind of collect him and, and offer him this position and take him over to the studio to have him try a shot kind of looks at him and says, you've never done anything like this before, though, have you? And Tom Kane's like, well, no, but I can certainly do better than what you've got. So, uh, long story short, they got him into a recording studio. He, uh, they, they, they had asked him, they wanted him to do something like the, uh, the old man from, uh, oh, what is that sausage company, like uh, Hickory Farms or something like that. They wanted him to do kind of an older man voice, and he could do it. And he did a spot, and they liked it, and, uh, he figured, okay, well, they'd never paid anybody before, so he wasn't expecting to be paid, and he had to go and the, they signed some contract stuff, and he was kind of impressed. Uh, got, oh, I think he said about $1,100, you know, plenty enough money for back in 1976, he went and bought a car with the money, and that was actually the beginning of his career. And for those who are not aware, Tom Kane, uh, you will know him as Professor Utonium from the Powerpuff Girls, which, by the way, he did mention he is revising that role in the new Powerpuff Girls, which I believe he said is coming in October. So the Powerpuff Girls will be returning with Tom Kane as the professor. Very excited about that. I was glad to hear it. Also, um, 
you would know him from uh, the Batman Arkham games. He was uh, the voice of Quincy Sharp. Uh, he was also Mr. Harriman on Fast- Foster's Home for Extraordinary or <laughs> Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, uh, and of course as the voice of Yoda in Star Wars: The Clone Wars, also the Lego Star Wars. So many other different characters. I mean, just a wide variety. He has been voicing Ultron here lately. He was the voice of Magneto back on Wolverine and the X Men. Just a ton of voice work that he has done. And one of these days, I would—I still want to get him on the show. I'm going to make it happen somehow. But uh, he doesn't seem like he likes to do a lot of interviews. He, you know, he, I guess he's felt like he's done a lot, and he's not really his thing. Uh, but uh, it, it would—it would be awesome to get him on to talk a little bit about it. But I thought those were some great stories that he shared. But now, okay, so Brett, I want Mickey Mouse shared a really cool story of how he became the voice of Mickey Mouse. He used to talk to his dog in that sort of a voice. He would just kind of go around, you know, oh, hi, hi, doggy, you know, stuff like that. And he, at the time, you know, he, he, he was born around, I guess, the Los Angeles area, had come here into the Kansas City area as well, and was working for Hallmark Cards, doing art for them, uh, doing some card design, a great artist. Um, he actually was doing drawings of Mickey Mouse, apparently, too, which became interesting. Um... But, you know, they, he found out that they were auditioning for Mickey Mouse, and it was actually like 1-888-MICKEY. He says it was, that's pretty much exactly what it was. It was a phone number to call in to try to audition, and uh, he was said he was really nervous. So he probably sounded like this with his voice shaking, you know. And But he did a Mickey voice. They they, they basically they sent him some, some scripts. Uh, he remembers part of it was from the Brave Little Tailor, um, and part was... Oh, a different cartoon. But he really was happy for the Brave Little Tailor. That is his favorite Mickey Mouse cartoon. And so he had to do some lines from it and sound as best as Mickey as he could. And he got the call to do the job. And he, he was supposed to be like an understudy for Wayne Allwine. Uh, but unfortunately, Wayne Allwine passed away soon after. And so he got the call to fly out there. Uh, they told him he, they wanted him to move back to L.A. so he'd be close by and he became the official voice of mickey mouse i got to meet of course bill farmer tony anselmo you know them of course as goofy and donald and also rusi taylor which of course she was in mourning for her husband she of course as Minnie mouse was also wayne alwine's husband who was mickey so it was kind of cute that they were mickey and minnie together uh so it was uh, i did ask about that it's like what was it like to come in you know and being the new kid around these people who had been doing these characters and uh and he kind of mentioned it was kind of a little bit where, you know, the Rusi was kind of, um, you know, missing her husband. And he came in to fill the shoes and become the new Mickey. And that was that was a bit different. But uh, it seemed like they were, you know, pretty accepting of him as being the new Mickey Mouse. And he's been working with him ever since. Hangs around with Bill Farmer. Uh, I did give him, by the way, my card and say, if Disney ever lifts it up and will let you talk to anyone on a podcast, you know, feel free to contact me. Also, uh, I would love to talk to Bill Farmer or, or Tony Anselmo or both, you know, at any time. So feel free to name drop, you know. And I did. I asked a lot of different questions. Uh, asked, like, how his approach with, you know, Disney Infinity coming around. You know, he's gotten to voice Sorcerer Mickey. And I said, well, how do you approach Sorcerer Mickey compared to how you would do uh, the regular Mickey who's coming out in 3.0? And he said the fun thing about Mickey is Mickey is almost an actor of him himself. He he does different characters and different type of things, uh, even as himself. And so, you know, Sorcerer Mickey is a little, you know, a little bit more brash and maybe a little bit more optimistic, I think he had said. Uh, and regular Mickey is just, just happy-go-lucky Mickey. Uh, so, 
very, very interesting. So there is definitely a difference he tries to put in for different characters he's doing as Mickey Mouse. Um, can't really think of any other questions that I had come up with at the time because it was amazingly there wasn't a lot of people that were in that panel. I don't think a lot of people realized who he was and how important he is. Uh, so it was not really loaded. There were a lot of people over. There was a bigger panel going with, uh, I forgot the name of the actor, but uh, for anyone who's a fan of Arrow, this is the guy who played Slade or Deathstroke. Uh, he also was uh, something in a Warcraft. I guess the Warcraft movie, he's an orc or something. Um, I didn't catch. Somebody was telling me about that and everything. I only know him mainly from Arrow, but instead of sitting in there through that, even though I am a fan of Arrow and I would like to have done that one, I found out that uh, Brett Iwan was there. Of course, I'm a Disney fan. I had to go. It's Mickey Mouse. So, yep, I did go over to there. Uh, but that's just a couple of my experiences. I really wish I could have recorded and shared it all. Uh, but there are plenty of recordings that I have and will get tomorrow because today is Saturday that I'm recording this. And on Sunday, Sean Astin is going to be there and I'm planning to go to his panel. Uh, Sean Astin, if you uh, need to be told, uh, he was in the Goonies. He was Sam in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, Rudy, you know, for crying out loud, Rudy. You know, <laughs> and also he's currently Raphael on the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series on Nickelodeon. Um don't know if he's done anything for Disney, but I should probably look that up and I'll let you know. But even if he hasn't, I'm sure you're a fan of his anyway, and you're really going to enjoy that, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it tomorrow when I attend. But for now, I think we better get ourselves an update on the Disney Battle, or the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. I can't even say my own thing right. Disney music fans, the time has come. It's the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. Your vote will determine this year's top five Disney songs. Vote now at poll.neverlandpodcast.com. That's P-O-L-L dot neverlandpodcast.com. And listen to the Neverland Podcast to see which Disney band rises above the competition. All right. Now, this was kind of a long round five. I had to go for two weeks because I was very busy. I didn't get a chance to go and update the website, and I've been actually pretty busy here. Uh, I'm switching up my job, and things are a little bit crazy around here. And with you know being very busy today and tomorrow, uh, but I wanted to go and make sure that I I ended round five and began round six. Uh, so round five, uh, that had classically animated going against Pixar. Pixar has yet to pick up a victory, and they went down in flames yet again. And I think I'm going to have to invoke a mercy rule. I might just go into Pixar and give them a 10-point boost somewhere in, the, in a voting at some point in the head. But not quite this round, because I feel bad for Pixar. They've got some good songs, but they're I guess they're just not as classic to us as some of the classic songs that we're more familiar with. Uh, so they they just can't seem to get a break. Uh, Living Action was going up against the Disney Indiana Park Club Band, and I was actually kind of shocked to find that Yo Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, defeated Feed the Birds, but it was only just by one vote. One vote does make a difference, so make sure you're coming to the website and voting, and you can vote about every five minutes, so keep it up. Uh, but that was amazing to... I mean, that was Walt's favorite song, and wow... People must really like Pirates of the Caribbean. Either that or they really love these uh, these 
park music uh, because Disney Indiana continues to dominate all of their competition. Everybody I put them against, Disney Indiana comes out ahead. They are completely undefeated, which they're taking a week off, uh, but I'll tell you about that here later. Uh, the Muppet Mayhem was going up against the Renaissance. Uh, the competition was pretty well matched, but the Muppets continue to be a force to be reckoned with. They are... They are Fairly, uh, I wouldn't want to say dominant, but they're they're holding their own. They're kind of holding up their their second place. I think they're still falling behind the uh, Disney Indiana Park Club band, but the Muppets are really uh, quite competitive and they're doing very well. And so they've come up with another victory. Uh, boy, there's there's only a few times I think they've lost, and it's probably only been against the Disney Indiana band. I mean, the Muppets are really everybody loves the Muppets. That's really impressive. So I'm pretty proud of them. They're doing really good. But this week, round six has begun. I have actually just updated the website here on Saturday as I record this. The website's updated. Round six has begun. Now, I mentioned the Disney and Indiana Park Club Bland is taking a vacation. They're going to take a week off. They are far enough ahead. They don't need any more victories for now. They are off at Friends of the Magic over in Disneyland this weekend, and they're going to just take the week off. In the meantime, the five other bands are sending their top performers all into the ring. It is a battle royal of five band members, each representing their own bands, duking it out, fighting for your votes. Go to poll.neverlandpodcast.com Participate in round six. Vote to your heart's content. Pick your favorite of five and keep picking it and keep picking it and keep picking it. You can vote every five minutes. Keep going all week and we'll see who comes out. This is going to be a big win because how I count the score is how many bands you defeat. So somebody's walking away with four points of victory. That should get somebody about caught up with the Disney Indiana band and uh, really tighten this race up. So remember, poll.neverlandpodcast.com. Make sure you get on there and vote. Time out for Listen up, all you cartoon lovers out there. Make sure to check out the Saturday Morning Rewind podcast to hear exclusive interviews with your favorite cartoon characters from the past and present. If you were a fan of Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, or Darkwing Duck, Saturday Morning Rewind is the show for you. Join Tim each month as he interviews the voices behind the characters. Find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and online at SaturdayMorningRewind.com. All right, Neverlanders, we have yet another special guest on with us. Uh, This guy has got some serious credentials. I'm going to read this directly from his latest book. Uh, Jeff Barnes is an author, professional, keynote speaker, higher education administrator, university professor, and leadership success coach. He has more than 35 years of professional speaking experience and nearly 20 years experience leading teams in higher education and teaching more than 20 different college courses in both the traditional classroom and online, including the history of Disneyland at California Baptist University in Riverside, California. Uh, and he's got a new book called The Wisdom of Walt, which I haven't gotten a chance to read yet, but it's doing really well on Amazon from what I'm seeing. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. <laughs> it is doing well on Amazon. In fact, uh, one of my dreams came true on Saturday morning. I logged in and discovered that it was actually listed as 
a number one hot new release last week. So yeah, it's doing really, really well. Wow. Now, is that mainly uh, like the digital copy sales or is that also the hardcover sales people are buying? Well, specifically that on Amazon is a reflection of the digital copy sales because the ebook version has only been available for about a week. The hard copy has been out for about six or seven weeks now. Both are doing really, really well. Fantastic. And it's, it's definitely something that's going to attract the Disney, uh, diehards because anything about Walt and we're just, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> We have that level of hero worship in there. They're like, oh my gosh, he created everything that's so, all that we love. So, and they wonder why people don't understand us. <laughs> we, we do seem to have our, our cult-like following, don't we? Uh-huh. So yeah, that's, that's one thing you can always get into trouble with us. If you somehow another bad mouth Walt, then suddenly we don't like you. <laughs> so, uh, we'll get into some kind of early beginnings of how this book kind of, came about uh, i mean because uh you're you apparently you've been teaching a class of disneyland history so you're already quite familiar uh with the parks uh, so obviously you have a love of disney but uh, what inspired you to write a book uh about walt well a, a couple of things jeremy first of all we live here in southern california and in the last four years we've been to disneyland over 200 times so obviously uh, there was a love there uh, but i think a little bit deeper I came to realize that a lot of what we love about the parks are, you know, different characteristics that we need to take home with us in our own lives so that we can be successful and quite frankly, so that we can realize our dreams as well. And I work in higher education as an administrator specifically in helping students achieve their dreams and enabling them to be as successful as possible. And so I really wanted to marry those two passions and that is you know, success and life and leadership with my own love for Disney and specifically Disneyland. And so, you know, first came the class on the history of Disneyland. And then once the class took off, I realized, you know, there's a book here because not everyone can take my course on the history of Disneyland. And so the book really represented an opportunity to get the information and the material into as many different hands as possible. It's a message that I think people really need to hear. We all have goals. We all have dreams. We all have visions. But how do we accomplish them? And hopefully the wisdom of Walt can show the readers exactly how to do that. Well, you've already got me hooked on the idea. That is awesome. Because Walt is definitely a great example of somebody with the drive and the passion for what he wanted to do and just went for it. And he uh, he learned from his failures, his mistakes. And, yeah, he failed quite a few times. I'm I'm in Kansas City where one of his failures, you know, we have a monument to it of a broken down building that's trying yep. to be rebuilt, a laughogram. But that, for all the, you know, the losses he had, even losing Oswald, he just kept going. Nothing would stop him. He would not take no, even when his brother's saying, you don't have the money for this. <laughs> he formed his own companies. Yeah, I, I think that really is where my fascination rests. When I teach the History of Disneyland class, the very first lecture is about the Walt Disney of Disneyland. And my students are shocked to find out that he ever failed at anything, let alone to learn that he actually failed at a number of different enterprises to include, you know, going bankrupts or, you know, his brother and his wife being against you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or the construction of Disneyland. And, you know, the lesson there is, you know, Walt, as much as we want to worship him, wasn't as much a unique genius as we want to make him out to be. 
he was a a person with dreams and then b a person who had enough courage to pursue those dreams at any and all costs and so for anyone who has a dream and i would like to believe that's each and every one of us really all we need from there is just that encouragement and you know those stories of inspiration and motivation that can help us to take that next step and to keep moving forward no matter what. And I think Walt provides that, and I think Disneyland provides it. Oh, yeah, definitely. That is the land of dreams right there. Uh, in fact, uh, that does remind me, like, uh, my first time, and actually my over only time I've ever gotten to go to a Disney park, uh, I went to, to Walt Disney World, and as soon as I walked in the door, they had the Celebrate a Dream Parade come on, and the lyrics were saying, Celebrate a Dream Come True, and I, I kind of thought to myself, this is like a dream come true. I've always wanted to come here, and now here I am. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think that's great. Uh, even when they do rope drop, you know, they remind us that Disneyland is the place where dreams come true. Mm-hmm. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have a bigger dream than going to Disneyland or <laughs> Disney World. And it's great that we can have so much fun and it's great that we have, you know, amusement parks as a form of escape. But what I do in the wisdom of Walt is I show the readers that ultimately the park can be a model and an example on how you as an individual can take your dream and in turn be as successful as possible. Now, one thing I've I've kind of struggled with is sometimes you're not sure where your dream is and you know trying to pinpoint, you know, where where all these passions you have and trying to figure out well what is what is the direction that my passions seem to be taking me and you know because i sometimes i really feel directionless other than other than this podcast which i <laughs> i'm having a ball doing this so this this is a fulfillment of one of my dreams when i was a kid i used to record myself on tapes pretending i had a radio show and podcasting has allowed me now to to live that and boy if i could get a business out of this running that would be great but if i never do i still just love making the show yeah, the, the second chapter of the book is entitled Pursuing Your Passion. And again, I use Walt as an example. You know, if you look over his life and his career, you know, he wore a lot of different hats. Uh, he was an animator. He was a cartoonist. He was a movie maker, obviously a theme park operator. He was also an ambulance driver, a failed businessman. You know, he was involved in a lot of different ventures. And the argument that I really try to make is if you take a look at his life and look backwards, particularly in relationship to his father and the way in which his father had worked at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, it it seems pretty obvious that Walt at some point was going to build a place like Disneyland. But that doesn't happen until he's 53, 54 years of age. And again, it's only obvious looking back. And we see that in a lot of people's lives. Steve Jobs in a famous commencement speech talks about connecting the dots, but only connecting them backwards. And so you know, my encouragement to the reader is to, again, keep moving forward and trusting that what you're doing today is going to take you to what you're supposed to be doing tomorrow. Yeah, I'm in uh, higher education. I teach U.S. history courses. I focus on student success. And yet I have this picture in the back of my head from when I was about five years old. And I was playing with a Lionel train set. And I had set it up around a jigsaw puzzle that just happened to be a jigsaw puzzle of Disneyland. 
Now, at age five, could I tell you that I was going to, at age 50, be teaching a course on the history of Disneyland or writing a book about Disneyland? No, of course not. But looking back, it all fits and it all connects. Yep. And sometimes you just have a long journey even getting there to where you start putting those pieces together. (laughs) You, you, You really do. And so, you know, you take a look at Walt's life. I think it's the parks that have left the the biggest impression on the world about who Walt Disney was. And yet Disneyland opened in 1955 and Walt passed in 1966. It was a very small part of his life and a very small part of his career. But it's almost like putting that explanation point to everything he had built to that point. Yep. So again, you know, trust the process that your passion is going to, you know, find itself as you keep moving forward. Yep. Even if you feel directionless, which I often do, <laughs> you just keep going, doing what you got to do. And, uh, you know, I, golly, I wish I could remember where I heard this from, but, uh, on the times where you were having to, you know, do maybe some menial job or whatever, but you're not doing what you really want to do, make sure every day you at least find one way to take a step towards what you really want to do. Even yeah. if you're stuck having to do this because you got to pay the bills or whatever. Yep. Just find something every day. Which that's a challenge sometimes. That's hard. Well, it can be, but again, I think it involves trust and you know, trusting that you're where you're supposed to be at least in this moment for some reason or some purpose, and that eventually, uh, as you move forward, you're going to be able to connect those dots and figure things out. Yeah, and I'm slowly learning to spot uh, even when uh, I'm going through some sort of a, a change of something. There's usually something within that I, the, a, a new path that I see something that says, "No, this is fine." Uh, I'm going to use a re- some recent examples. Like uh, I was recently attempted to be a mail carrier. Uh, really didn't work out for me. I just don't have the uh, physical ability to do it. Uh, but the very day that I end up having to leave that job, I got a phone call from another place uh, that's I'm you know temporarily working. But they said, "Hey, we really need you back and everything." So I was able to leave the job one day and go back onto a different job the, the following day. Uh, of course, that's just doing like contract courier work, so it doesn't really you know sustain you very well. Right. But, uh, just today, I actually had an I early this morning I, I I just woke up just worried about, you know, like financial need and everything like that. And uh I'm a man of faith, so I prayed over it. And I went uh did a quick, you know, Indeed search. I have a, you know, Indeed has a an app on my phone. Did a quick job search and I saw, you know, Apple Bus Company I'm like, "Well, you know, I've got a class B license. Let's just go ahead and send a resume at him and see what happens." Couple hours later, I got a phone call from him. Hey, can you come in here about one o'clock? I said, Well, I sure can. Now I get in there, and, and uh, as a as a guy of man of faith, uh, the guy who was hiring was a former youth pastor who graduated from the exact same high school I graduated with. <laughs> and as soon as he saw my license that I had a bus driver and a passenger endorsement, he says, "You're hired. Can you come in tomorrow morning? We need to have you meet with some of the the schools that we're going to be working with." Oh. And I'm like, granted. I'm Driving a bus isn't really what my overall goal in life is, but having pieces that fall together where I, I don't feel like I'm struggling and being somebody that I pray and I have faith in those prayers, having them come around and say, oh, well, see, I feel like I'm on a path. I don't always know where that path is going and exactly how my journey is getting me there, but at least I have these little things like breadcrumbs to say, no, you're, you're going to be fine. Just keep going this way. Yep. Yep. I, and the real key there is, is to not give up, not be discouraged. And I really like what you say, Jeremy, you know, find something in whatever job you're doing today that you can absolutely excel in 
and and hopefully have some sort of takeaway toward whatever your dream or whatever your goal might be. Yep. And it could be that I'm going to have a bus full of kids that I get to tell about this great podcast I have. <laughs> Next thing you know, these kids are like, yay, you know, because, you know, one of the things with the podcast, I, I I try to keep a positive thing. And I always remind people to keep a pixie in your pocket and to share some pixie dust with other people. And right. by that, of course, it's it's a good, positive and young attitude. Uh, if you can keep a good attitude, it'll help you face a lot of things. And also, if you share that with others by sometimes just a smile, a handshake, and a, and a hey, how are you doing today? You yeah. show a little pixie dust to people. And yeah. uh, I, that's something I think uh, Walt was able to do, getting it back around, is he found ways he kind of, you know, spread his dream to other people. And, you know, from a lot of story, stories you hear, he was really good at finding what somebody was good at that maybe they had never considered. And he would, hey, I, I want you to do this. Here's an assignment. Go and do this. I'm going to team you two together. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And magic yeah. would just happen. Yeah. A couple of thoughts there. First of all, if you go back and you look at the pictures of him from when he was an ambulance driver just after World War One, well, you know, first, he never had the opportunity to get an education beyond the ninth grade, you know, because he wanted to get over to Europe and, you know, serve in World War One. And he got there actually right after the armistice was signed. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, if you take a look at his ambulances, he doesn't have the standard camouflage, but instead he's got cartoons on the side of it. Which, again, <laughs> it's a reflection of his passion and his interests and ultimately where he is, you know, going to be going. And then secondly, Walt was not the most gifted anything on the team or the organization that he built. He was the man with the vision, and then he was smart enough to hire people far more gifted and far more talented than he was. And, and then he just you know, empowered them and, and let them go. And you know, the studio was better for it. You know, the, the cartoons, the movies were better for it. And of course, ultimately, the theme parks were better for them. And so, you know, he was a visionary leader, but fortunately, he was not a micromanager. He didn't compromise <laughs> on his vision, but he didn't try and micromanage the team either. Yeah. <laughs> and he could be stern, but, you know, he was always usually when you did a good job, you would at least hear about it from somebody else that he would have said, oh, this person's just a wonderful thing. And then that person might bring it back to you. Oh, by the way, Walt was complimenting you to me. Right. Because the only thing you might hear from him is that'll do. Yep. <laughs> and you knew that meant the world. So when uh, when researching uh, to do a book like this, uh, I mean, where do you start? Because you already knew a good history of Disneyland. Did you have to dive into uh, some of Walt's life and his accomplishments a little bit? Well, you know, Jeremy – I get asked that question a lot, and I suppose being in academics, I, I should have this really scholarly, researched answer about you know how many hours I slaved away in the archives of a library. The truth of the matter is, because of my interest and my passion in Disneyland and specifically Walt, I've been reading about this casually for easily 20 years. And that combined with the various success and leadership principles that I've always been interested in, it, it really was just a matter of, of marrying or combining the two. And, and ultimately what happened was when I taught the History of Disneyland course for the first time, it, it took me a year to get everything together, the syllabus, the curriculum, the textbooks. We lined up the field trips, the guest speakers, so on and so forth. And, and finally, 
you know, we had the very first class and, you know, that had been a, a dream that I had held on to for a really, really long time. But interestingly enough, the next day I had an appointment with a neurosurgeon and was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Ooh. And, you know, he immediately wanted to operate. I mean, I'll never forget it. It was a Friday in May and he wanted me back in on Tuesday for surgery. And assuming everything went well, you know, it would be six to eight weeks before I could, you know, return to work, which meant you know, no history of Disneyland class, you know, wiping that dream you know, completely out. And so I looked at the neurosurgeon at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles and I said, I'm sorry, but that's, that's just not going to happen. And you need to know neurosurgeons are not accustomed to being told no. <laughs> and so he wanted to know what in the world was so important that I was willing to risk my own life and delay brain surgery. And I shared with him that this was the summer that I had the opportunity to teach my dream course. And, you know, he wanted to know, well, what course is it? And when he found it, it was a history of Disneyland class. He really didn't understand it. <laughs> but it was really in that moment that I came to understand, you know what, this really matters to me. There's a lot of passion here. Or otherwise, I wouldn't be willing to lay my life on the line. And, you know, we were able to put the surgery off for two and a half months until, you know, the course was complete. The surgery went fine. I'm, you know, healthy a year later. And when we got to the other side of it, you know, it's just sort of one of those perspective things of, you know, hey, you know, you got through this okay, but you're really not going to be around for forever. And recognize that, you know, I have a book idea of success and leadership from the principles of what everyday people see when they go to a Disney park. And so I, you know, shared with my wife, Nikki, you know, that, you know, my only fear having, you know, survived a brain tumor and having come out of a craniotomy was, you know, that I would get to the end of my life at some point and not having ever written that book. And, you know, Nikki being the unbelievable partner that she is, she just looked at me and said, so what would it take to get that done too? <laughs> and so we took, you know, 20 years of reading and research and sort of a near death experience and a lot of passion. And quite frankly, Jeremy, you know, I, I wrote the first word on November 22nd. I sent it to the editor on April 14th. And what I really want to share with our listeners is whatever your dream, whatever your goal, whatever your vision might be, I, I can't even begin to express how unbelievably relieved I felt on April 14th when I hit the send button. I, I walked out the front door that night and, and took a walk, and I had this realization I could get hit by a bus tonight. Now, obviously, that wasn't the goal, <laughs> but I could get hit by a bus tonight, and it no longer matters because I've written my book, and it's going to get published now no matter what. And so, you know, for our listeners, whatever your dream, whatever your goal, whatever your vision, get started on it. Not tomorrow. Get started on it today and know that each and every day you can get one step closer. And that sense of relief, that sense of accomplishment when it is all said and done is unlike anything that you have ever experienced before. Well said. <laughs> My goodness. 
Uh, well, during those uh, 20 years of, uh, of study and academia and stuff, did you get a chance to uh, kind of travel through any of Walt's footsteps like, uh, like here in Marceline, Missouri? We have been to Marceline. In fact, just this summer, we, we went on a, a bit of a, a Walt tour, if you will. And what I mean by that is we stood on the steps of where Walt was born in a neighborhood just outside of downtown Chicago, uh, you know, of course, born there in December of 1901. Mm-hmm. And then we left from Chicago and drove directly to Marceline and, you know, had the chance to experience what that small town is all about. I, I think the real moving moment for me there was having the opportunity to go to the farm that he talks about so much. Oh, it's goosebumps, it, isn't it? It really does. And, um, you know, there's a tree there that is always referred to as Walt's dreaming tree. Now, there's not a lot of it left because, you know, storms and what have you have, you know, taken their toll on it. But they've kind of replanted it right. with various parts and there's a, you know, significant stump there and what have you. I, I, I got to tell you, I I took the wisdom of Walt, a, a hard copy of that book, and and got some really great pictures of it underneath Walt's dreaming tree because again Walt had a dream my dream was to write this book and you know that sense of accomplishment of being able to bring that book home if you will and interestingly enough there was a couple there from Davenport Iowa and you know they saw me taking these pictures and you know they wanted to know more about it I ended up selling them the book and signing it for them right there under (laughs) Walt's dreaming tree and then the part that really moved me was you can actually go into a recreation of Walt's barn. And, you know, he mm-hmm. talked about him and Ruth playing in there when they were children. And today, that recreated barn, it's completely empty except for a barrel with a bunch of Sharpie pens on it. And they <laughs> encourage you to leave notes and to leave words of thank you and, you know, encouragement to Walt. And when you walk in there, you, you realize very, very quickly, it might take you an hour, possibly two, to find a space anywhere in that barn where there is room to write a single word. So many people have gone in there and done just that. Yeah, I go up there every year for TuneFest, which is coming up pretty quick here. Uh, it's usually like the last Saturday in September. And I've tried to – after I found a spot, I've tried to try to refine that spot and just try to write the year next to it so I can keep track of every year that I come out there. Yeah. But I have the hardest time locating it every year. Yeah, so I would – I mean I – I'm, I'm glad we've had the opportunity to go there. Um, I, I love seeing the original Main Street. I, I think the Hometown Museum is is great. Mm-hmm. But my encouragement to the listeners is make sure you go to the farm and specifically make sure you take the time to go into the barn. Oh, yes. And I'm going to be out at ToonFest. I'll be talking about this later on the podcast. And if any listeners want to uh, meet up with me, I will gladly go with them to the barn and we'll experience it all together. Uh, and definitely, go, definitely got to go into that museum. I do that every year. I walk through it. I'll spend a good hour or so. Sometimes I'll sit and watch. They show that, uh, the man, the myth, the legend or whatever, uh, documentary that, uh, his daughter produced that is just fantastic. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I go in there every year and, uh, it's been more fun now as a podcaster. Last year, I actually got to talk to some people and hear some stories of, uh, people who were just a little girl, uh, that when Walt had came into the, uh, the schoolhouse there and he was going to, uh, show, um, the great train escape. Oh, I'm getting it wrong, but you know what I mean? It's a, the great locomotive chase, I believe, yes. or something like that. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's this great photograph they have in the museum of Walt standing there kind of gesturing towards the clock. And one of the ladies was telling me, says, right there, I was one of these little girls. Uh, our school came out before Walt came up, and uh, the school got together and sang the Mickey Mouse Club theme. And Walt, uh, after that, got up on stage, had to wipe a couple of tears out of his eyes, smiled, and turned into that showman that he always was, pointed to that clock. They snapped that picture, and he says, it's time to start the show. And that's when he, <laughs> they rolled the film. But yeah. lots of great oh. stories if you find the right people to sit and talk to. And they've actually got a really great documentary called Marceline that somebody had made where somebody collected a lot of those stories. I love that DVD. I got it signed by a couple of people in it. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's a great little town, and there's sort of a spirit or an ethos there that you feel if you're a Walt fan or you know a Disney fan. Uh, even when we were behind the house between, say, you know, the barn and Walt's Dreaming Tree, we were you know sitting there in the grass for you know just a few minutes, you know, soaking it all in. And suddenly out of the woods came came a rabbit. And my wife immediately said, oh, look, it's Thumper. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then just a few minutes later, we noticed a cricket on on one of the logs. And, you know, I hollered at her, hey, look over here. It's it's Jiminy. And, you know, we could just sort of, you know, picture Walt as a, you know, five, six-year-old child, you know, sitting there and, you know, connecting with nature and starting, you know, his – career as a as a cartoonist and you know he always said and i don't you know care how long he lived in california and you know how big he became in hollywood he always said despite he was despite the fact he was only there for a few years he he always said that he was a marceline boy and never forgot where he came from Mm -hmm. and they're very proud of it in that town But I can definitely see uh, whenever I've gone in there how it must have uh, affected him in that town because it is it's it's helped me develop more of a love of small town America like that. Uh, so now anytime I've gone on trips, like if we get into a small town, I like to stop and I'll I like to look in the shops or eat in one of the the local cafes and stuff like that. Uh, and that's something I just picked up from Marceline. It's just like it's it's got it has a whole different feeling in one of those small little towns down their main street. It is just wonderful, and yeah, to the wonder that he must have had. And every time, uh, like a train goes by, still on those tracks that were there when Walt was a little boy. When a train goes by, it makes a lot of racket, but it always makes me smile to think, ah, see, this is where that train in Disneyland came from. It's from it, it, it really is, and it's sort of stunning to think about. The train doesn't stop in Marceline anymore, right. and yet the museum is in the very same depot mm-hmm. where he and the family arrived from Chicago in 1904-1905. It's the very same depot, the Santa Fe Depot, where his uncle worked on the railroad, and this uncle was Walt's first real hero. And even though the train doesn't stop there anymore, over 70 a day still go by. Mm-hmm. And so you can't go into that museum without being impacted by that train. And again, it just it takes you back and you know you feel Walt's spirit. Oh yeah. Definitely. Great town. Uh so I guess then also your journey probably take you took you here in my hometown, Kansas City. We did have a, the opportunity to go through Kansas City. Unfortunately, we were on a bit of a rushed itinerary, so we didn't get to go over to where the Laughagram studio was. I haven't seen it yet either. It's kind of in a bad part of town. <laughs> yeah, but again, that's an important part of Walt's mm-hmm. story because you know he went bankrupt there. Yep. And it was that bankruptcy that ultimately forced him to realize if he was going to make anything of himself 
in the career field that he had chosen, he needed to get out to California. And so in 1923, you know, he packs it all up with, you know, a suitcase and 40 bucks and, and heads west. Yep. And this time having Roy with him to kind of keep an eye on the finances. <laughs> yes, which I think uh, was, you know, a wise decision. And that, you know, partnership that they formed early on, you know, was a partnership that, you know, really, you know, helped them and, you know, really helped the company. Yeah. Roy, the unsung hero of Disney. <laughs> he, he really is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, was there any uh, new lessons that you kind of felt you learned in the process of writing this book? Well, I, I think specifically the idea that, again, you know, Walt wasn't perfect and, you know, he didn't just fall out of bed, this creative, successful genius that, you know, we want to make him out to be. But then secondly, if you look at the parks and, and what it is that makes them work and why we feel so special and so magical – that translates. And what I mean by that is there are certain principles that are in play that I believe we can employ in our everyday life. And in doing so, again, help us achieve our own dreams and help us achieve our own, our own goals. So for example, uh, especially at Disneyland, you have it in place somewhat in Orlando, but especially at Disneyland, you know, when Walt built the park, he built it for the purpose of storytelling. And of course, coming out of Hollywood, he was accustomed to most often telling his stories by way of movies that were filmed in a soundstage. And so here is this 160-acre outdoor piece of land, and he's going to use it for the purpose of storytelling, but he's also going to lose control. In, in other words, it's going to be a flat piece of land that's going to be open you know, to the elements. And part of the solution for that was when they, when they dug out the rivers of America, they had all of this you know, dirt. Well, they ended up taking that dirt and, and building a, ber a berm around the perimeter of the park. And the idea is that the berm serves as a way to keep the magic in and the rest of the world out. And so when you think about whatever your goal or whatever your dream might be, well, what is it that you need more of to help make that dream a reality? And then I encourage the reader, put that inside your berm, whatever it is you need more of. Put that inside your berm. And what is it that you need less of? What is it that's distracting you? What is it that's keeping you from accomplishing your task, from accomplishing your mission? That needs to go outside the berm. And so, again, it's just sort of principles like that that we see in play at Disney parks around the world that when we translate them and bring them into our own lives, again, they can inspire us and motivate us and show us how to make every day like a day at Disneyland. Wow. So, my goodness, do uh, you think there's enough information in there that you could write a, a second book? Well, I am writing a second book. It's not a success, motivational, inspirational book, however. I am under contract with a different publisher. They're looking for a general history of Disneyland, meaning with, what they really want is a history of Disneyland that isn't academic, which oddly enough, I am in academics, but fortunately, <laughs> at least I think it's fortunate, you know, my writing is very accessible. And, you know, the publisher, you know, is impressed enough with the writing and the wisdom of Walt, you know, that he was able to approach me and say, look, this is exactly what we've been looking for in terms of, you know, someone to write a history of Disneyland to a general audience. So we're getting to work on that in just the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. Well, when that one comes out, you make sure you come back and tell us about it. I would be honored. 
because that sounds very exciting. In fact, I'd kind of like to take your class. Is that one of the ones that you teach online as well? You know, we don't teach that class online. Um, two major reasons for it. First of all, one of the real highlights of the class is the opportunity to bring in guest lecturers. And we would lose a lot of the dynamic with those guest lecturers if we were to, you know, try and translate it to online. But then secondly, far and away, the best part of the course are the field trips. We take a day. <laughs> And we, of course, go to Disneyland. My dream really has been to be a Disneyland tour guide. And that really isn't financially feasible, at least not at this point. So teaching the history of Disneyland class is really the closest that I can come at, at this point. And what's really fun is we split the class in two. And so half the class goes one day and the other half the class goes another day. And the purpose of that is whenever the students come to the park for their field day, they want to be able to bring as many friends and family members as possible. So by cutting the course in half, we then open up space for that field trip once we're inside the park. And I, you know, give a big tour and I always just say the more, you know, the more the merrier. And then the other field trip that we take, which I actually think is a little more exciting than even going to Disneyland, Garner Holt Productions, which is in our sister city just next door, San Bernardino, they are the world's largest maker of audio animatronics. And today they do almost all of Disney's audio animatronics. Wow. So, for example, if you've been to Disneyland and you've been on Radiator Springs Racers, they did all the audio animatronics in Radiator Springs Racers. They did, you know, the audio animatronic dragon in Fantasmic. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Well, the last day of the class each summer, we get an inside field trip an inside tour of garner holt productions and oh goodness that's that's a better backstage pass than even a backstage pass at Disneyland, <laughs> in my opinion. did you get to see them uh making the new hat box ghost they didn't do the new hat box ghost oh. that was done actually by walt disney imagineering last year when we took the field trip we actually got to watch some of them building the pirates they're going to be installed in shanghai's version of pirates of the caribbean Awesome. That was very cool. Very, so, very cool. Have you gotten to see a few things that are being worked on right now that you can share with us? You know, we have to sign a, you know, release <laughs> and promise of confidentiality. Ah, oh, nuts. <laughs> and, and on the Wisdom of Walt, Garner Holt and his creative director, Bill uh, Butler, you know, I was fortunate enough to get them to write the foreword. So I, I don't want them taking their name off the book and I don't want them canceling <laughs> future tours by – giving away information I'm not allowed to share. <laughs> well, there you have it. It's on record. He's stuck to his guns and he didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, but uh, if anybody really wants to find a good copy of this book, I'm pretty sure they can also pick it up other than Amazon, uh, thewisdomofwalt.com. And uh, what all can they find on that website? Is that mainly for the book or has it got a little bit of information uh, more or what's all is there? Well, what they'll find on the website is an opportunity to purchase the book. And oh, by the way, I personally sign each and every copy. I'm, you know, thrilled uh, to do that. At five foot seven and three quarters, I was never going to be a professional athlete. So signing books <laughs> is the closest I think I'm ever going to get to having a chance to give out autographs. And, you know, the other information that's on the website is related to, you know, speaking opportunities and there's, a, you know, book reviews and what other people are saying about the book. 
And if they don't want to order it from the website, they can, of course, get a copy from Amazon. The hard copies ordered on Amazon are still routed by me. So if you want to go through Amazon, don't worry. I'll still sign your copy and I'll, you know, be picking it and shipping it myself. And then the ebook is also available on the Amazon Kindle. Currently running a special on that. Normally it would be priced at $9.99, uh, but the ebook is brand new. And so we have an introductory price of $5.99 this week. Fantastic. So everybody better jump on that quick. How long does that sale last? That's going to last for about another week. About another week. Okay. Well, this will go on the air this coming Sunday. Is that enough time? Absolutely. Awesome. For, right. for, for our Neverland listeners, we, we'll keep it going a couple of extra days. Yay. And if you can put a little comment and a review there on Amazon, say that you heard about it here at the Neverland Podcast. I love it. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely big thank you for coming on. This sounds awesome. And uh, I've got a, the PDF you sent me, but I definitely I would like to get a hard cover of this book. So uh, expect to see my order very, very soon. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. All thank right. you, listeners. All right. Thanks. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that. And look, Heather's still here. Hi. Well, you didn't get to go to the convention with me, did you? No, I didn't. That's okay. Well, you can be along with everybody else. You can get to hear everything that I recorded. And I recorded a lot. So we got enough stuff. You're going to be hearing stuff on this for weeks upon weeks on end. I mean, I got panels and and, uh, talking to people on the floor and all kinds of stuff. It's good stuff, so you're going to like it. You get to hear it with everybody else. Good deal. So, what do we want everybody to do till next week? Uh, keep a pixie in your pocket. Which that, means you have a positive attitude about life and just spread <laughs> that cheerfulness to other people. Well, that's close enough. She's getting the idea, folks. So, yes, uh, make sure to keep that pixie in your pocket. Spread a little pixie dust. And, oh, hey, by the way, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. We love to hear from you on Twitter.com slash NeverlandPCast and Facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast. Leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492 and send email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. Join us next week and we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. The Neverland Podcast is copyright Blue Band Productions and all original content belongs to the same. Other content is copyright of their respective creators and is used under Creative Commons license. Good night, Neverland! Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.